Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Welcome again to RUF, guys. Thanks for coming. Uh, I know it's a busy time of year, school-wise, and also frigidly cold outside. So I really appreciate you venturing out and coming and being with us tonight. And uh, this is, I think, our third to last uh, Wednesday night large group of the semester. So uh, we made it a long way, uh, making progress through the gospel of Mark, and we're nearing the end, and we've, we haven't covered every single passage. We've been skipping over some things, but we're making our way toward the end of Mark, and uh, tonight we come on a really, a really cool passage. I like this passage a lot. I think there's a lot in here for us to ponder from Mark chapter 10, so uh, let me read it for us, starting in verse 35. Uh, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servants. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, as we come now to your word, uh, would you uh, calm our hearts and uh, open our hearts to your truth? Uh, would you uh, change us uh, through this word and show us more of yourself and make us different? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
at this point in the Gospel of Mark, it's this account of Jesus's life and ministry. Uh, he's now, I think uh, last week I mentioned that from this point on, he's on his way to die. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And at this point, Jesus has now foretold his death and resurrection to his disciples three times. So there have been three different times where he's like, I'm going there to die and I'm going to rise again. And what we've seen over and over now is that the disciples can't hear Jesus when he says that because they are preoccupied, we find out, with being great, with becoming great. And so tonight what we're going to talk about is what this idea of greatness and what it is. Uh, because we all want to be great. We all want to do something that matters. We all want to know that we're important. And so it's worth thinking about what greatness is and what Jesus says about being great. And so we're going to look at it in three parts. We're going to look at the world's definition of greatness that we see in this passage. And then we're going to contrast that with God's definition of greatness. And then we're going to look at how to be Great, how to be someone who is great. And so I want to look first at the world's definition of greatness. And at the beginning of this passage, James and John, who are like two of Jesus' closest disciples, like they know Jesus about as well as anyone, and they come up with a bold request. They say, Do whatever we ask, which is, I think, is bold, uh, seems a little forward to me, but Jesus actually answers them. He says, What do you want me to do for you? And they say, well, we want to sit at your right hand and your left in your glory. And so what's going on with that is they're expecting Jesus, they're going to get to Jerusalem and Jesus is going to be like crowned king. And there's this image of like a banquet in their heads. And Jesus is going to be like at the head table, uh, raised up in front of everyone. And they're thinking like, we want to be there with you. Uh, We want to be seen with you. We want to be at the top with you. And Jesus responds again by trying to explain to them that he's he's actually going to suffer and die. Like that stuff about being baptized and drinking the cup. Like he's talking about his death and they're just not hearing him. Like it's like he's saying something and it's just not registering in their brain. It makes me think of sometimes I run into you guys on the way to a test or something. Like you guys are on your way to a test and you've been studying for like you know, 15 hours straight and, and you happen to run into me and I'm like, hey, what's up? How's it going? And, and like, there's this like laser focus, like, you know, the information that you've stored up in your brain will like escape out if you like start talking to me or something like that. And it's just kind of, I like to mess with you though anyway. And, uh, but you know, it's like, you know, I'm so laser focused on where, on where I'm heading that it's hard for me to hear anything else. And that's kind of what's going on with the disciples. They're, so, they're laser focused on this opportunity for greatness. And what we find out is that this, so there's 10 other disciples and they find out what James and John are up to. And they're like, what the heck, guys? Like, what are you doing? Uh, they see James and John trying to one-up them. And so uh, Jesus kind of gathers them all together, all the 12 disciples, and he says, you know, those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, like rulers in this world, they lord it over them. And they're great ones, he says, exercise authority over them. He's saying, I know what you really want is to be great. Okay, that's just us. Like what we really want is to be great. And you're working off of this definition of greatness that comes 
from the world. Uh, it's this definition that says, do something noticeable and then you'll be great. Be someone prominent and then you'll be great. Or be above other people and you will be great. And, you know, I, like, we use this language all the time. Uh, if you get to be my age, you'll start to meet people, places that are, like, peers of mine I meet a lot. And I say, like, what do you do? And oftentimes what I hear back is, like, what their job is and they'll slip in how many people work under them. You know, I'm a manager of this many this. Or, uh, you know, or, or people ask, like, you know, oh, that's great. Like, how many people do you have under you as this measure of, like, how great you are? And I say, I have one person under me. His name is J.Kel. And, uh, you know, but that's, or we might measure by how many followers. We, so social media is very, this is a big deal. How many followers you have, how many likes you have. Anybody seen the documentary about Firefest on Netflix or Hulu? Uh, this whole so this whole like festival that got started because uh, this guy who wanted to put on a festival got all these quote unquote influencers on social media to post an orange tile on their Instagram and on the caption say see you at Firefest and all these people came just because of that and there was no food for them they were like starving on this island and there were, there were not adequate restrooms and there was not like a good way to get off the island when they wanted to leave and these people were stranded forever. And it was all because of this pursuit of greatness. You know, this person with the, this influencer said they were going to be there and if I can be there, they're thinking just like James and John are thinking. Um, when you think of greatness as doing something big, I want to do something. If I do something big, then I will matter. Then I will be great. If I get noticed, if people notice me, uh, I want to think about what Yukon. Is there a Yukon specific definition of greatness? I think it has something to do with like getting really good grades while also looking good, having a lot of connections on campus and also like future prospects. So I'm someone that uh, not only is like making it happen here, but I'm also like going to have something going for me when I leave this place and it's going to be really big, you know, it's going to make money. It's going to be successful. It's going to make me look good. And I want us to see that there's a problem with pursuing this kind of greatness, kind of worldly form of greatness. And we see it in this passage. The first thing is that it, it erodes community. Look what happens with it. Like, to make it happen, it means you have to one-up someone. And so, like, these disciples are now mad at each other because James and John are pursuing this worldly kind of idea of greatness. Uh, And it happens at UConn, too. Uh, One thing I've noticed in my eight or so years at UConn is that at UConn, it's totally socially acceptable to bail on plans with people if you have work to do. It's just totally acceptable to say, no, I got to, stu- you know what? I have to study. I can't meet you there. I can't do that thing with you. It's just like totally, like it's not even offensive. And it really should be offensive if we think about it. You know, it would be offensive in another culture. But here, because of the idea of greatness that we have, it's not offensive. It's just like st- kind of standard. Um, you know, are you, are you someone who feels alone and if, if you feel alone, I want you to think about maybe how is my approach to greatness affecting that? How is it contributing to that? Uh, because some approaches to greatness erode community. 
Um, and the second thing that this idea of greatness does is that it dulls our senses. And we see that with the disciples here. Like the disciples cannot hear the good news that Jesus is telling them. Like they can't hear what he's saying. Like it's going in one ear and out the other. He's like, I'm going to die. And he's, they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, can I sit next to you at this table? They can't hear it. Um, it makes me think, you know, I have two little kids, as you all know, and uh, my kids are at an age where everything is new. Like, and so, like, we'll be walking around, they'll be like, look, a leaf. And they're, like, picking it up, and, like, I'm in a rush to, like, get somewhere. I'm just like, yeah, it's a leaf, it's a leaf. But if I, like, take the time and stop, I'm like, a leaf is worth stopping and looking at. Like, it's amazing. But I've got this idea of great, you know, like, look at this ant. And it's like, we should stop and look at the ant. But I've got places to go, people to see, you know, whatever, because I'm pursuing this idea of what I think will make me great. And so, like, my senses are dulled, unlike the senses of a child who sees what's great. Um, I think of the same, you know, on the other hand, I often, so sometimes we bring our kids to, like, campus or the dairy bar, and I often see students... uh, like, we'll go to the dairy bar, students are milling around, and they look, at, and they just don't even notice my kids. Which I'm just like, you know, these are beautiful children. <laughs> like, they weren't alive two, they didn't exist like two years ago. It's amazing. And, like, and they're looking up at these students, like, with wide eyes, like, notice me, and students just, like, can't even see it. It's the same kind of thing that I, you know, me with the leaf and the ant, right? It's amazing, but my senses are dulled by what I'm pursuing here. Uh, So, uh, and the most important thing is that your pursuit of greatness can make you miss the most important thing, okay? There's nothing more important than what Jesus does in Jerusalem, that he heads, he's heading to Jerusalem to die in our place. He's heading there to be risen from the dead uh, so that he will live eternally, and be the eternal king. And we're in danger when we, produce, when we pursue this idea of greatness uh, that the world and that James and John are thinking of. We can miss it. Uh, so that's the world's definition of greatness. But I want us to think now about what this passage says about God, what God thinks is great. What's God's definition And and Jesus responds in verses 43 and 44. He says, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Uh, It's a way of saying in God's kingdom, the greatest people are those who serve. I want you to think, like, what's a servant? Uh, I read a definition that says, Servants give their days to small, mostly overlooked tasks, over long periods of time with no accolade. And because that's true, what that means, if that's what greatness is, is if greatness is service, then that means that obscurity and greatness are not opposites. You can live a life of obscurity that is great. Uh, In other words, in God's world, you can be truly great and not really ever get noticed by anyone. Uh, Listen to what another author writes about this subject. Uh, He says, In the kingdom of God, true greatness is measured by our service, not by our number of servants. It is seen not in how high up the ladder we have climbed, but how far down the ladder we are prepared to climb 
for the sake of others. True discipleship has at its heart letting go of our desire for honor in this world in order to bestow honor on others. So what could greatness look like for us? Uh, great, what does greatness, true greatness, look like? It can look like a lot of different things. It can look like being a mom or a dad, changing diapers, dressing kids, making food, cleaning the house, to care for little people that don't really understand what you're even doing, uh, but that need it. Or it can look like working hard at a job that's not that exciting uh, and doing it with integrity every day. It can look like not cheating on schoolwork even though you'll now get a worse grade and no one would have noticed anyway. It can look like treating people with kindness and respect no matter what they look like. And especially caring for and making time for people that seem to have no friends, seem to have no resources. Uh, It can look like asking questions just to find out about the people around you. Like being someone who who thinks to ask good questions of the people that are right in front of us. It can look like thinking about what people need. This is big. Do you ever do this? Just sit like, you know, I have this friend. What might they need today? I know this person. How could I encourage them today? You know, that's a little like overlooked thing in our society and God looks on and says it's greatness it's just coming down and thinking about people as if they matter because they do it can look like praying for someone even though they may never find out you did Um, so that's God's definition of greatness so I want us to think now about how to be great In verse 45, we read, uh, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man, me, he says, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And what he's inviting them to do is, he's like, follow me into greatness. This greatness of serving. I'm going to serve. I came to serve. Uh, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. And uh, interestingly, like, that's the secret of how to be great is to follow Jesus into it. But they actually follow him to this next place. They're, they're, they get to Jericho, and they meet a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. And he says, he's crying out as they pass, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people tell him to shut up. People are like, shut up. Uh, and what we need to see about Bartimaeus is that he is literally a nobody. Like, the name Bartimaeus just means son of Timaeus which means he like doesn't really have a name and he's a blind beggar. So he's especially just a nobody. And, you know, so the attitude is like, shut up, dude. Why would he care about you? But Bartimaeus won't quit. And so Jesus stops and he says he calls him and the people get him. And Jesus asks Bartimaeus the same exact question that he just asked James and John, what do you want me to do for you? And his answer is he wants to see. And Jesus heals him and says, your faith has made you well. And Bartimaeus, it says he follows Jesus on the way. Now, I want us to think about that. Why is Mark so careful to juxtapose these two interactions with the same question, uh, what do you want me to do for you? And he does it because it's a living demonstration of what this, these two different notions of greatness. Uh, 
Jesus asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? And surprisingly, the disciples get it wrong. And this, like, nobody, Bartimaeus, gets it right. So now these disciples who supposedly know Jesus have the opportunity to learn from this poor, blind beggar. And what they learn is that instead of asking to be great, they need to ask for mercy and for sight. Bartimaeus asked for two things. Mercy, have mercy on me, I want to see. In other words, instead of asking to be great, ask to be healed. I want you to think about yourself. What do you want Jesus to do for you? I think if we're honest, we're just like the disciples, and we would probably say something like, make me great and give me an easy life. Like, that's what I want from you, God. And the message of this text is that that is the answer of those who have their senses dulled. That's the answer of those who are blind, uh, those who can't see how desperate their situation actually is. If that's what you want out of life, then you will miss Jesus entirely, and that will be disastrous for you. So what would, they have, what would these disciples have learned from this interaction with Bartimaeus, and what should we learn? We should learn, first of all, that we're a lot more like Bartimaeus than we think. You know, Bartimaeus is blind and hopeless, and we pursue these notions of greatness continually that lead nowhere, and it's this hopeless situation, and it makes us blind. It makes us not see that which is beauty, beautiful and that which is right. But here's the good news for us, though. Jesus is willing to stop. He's willing to stop for a blind beggar. And Jesus knows how messed up you are, and he will stop for you. He will stop for you. And you can't be a follower of Jesus unless you see yourself in Bartimaeus. Specifically that your approach to becoming great has rendered you helpless and worthless and in need of mercy from God. You know, like, I can't even trust myself to see clearly. That's how messed up I am. But if that's you, these words are for you. Take heart. Get up. He is calling you. Think about God's vision of greatness again. Like this idea of coming down. You know, that we read about the idea. It's, it's, about, it's not about how high you can get, but it's about how high you can come down. All right, what you need to know about Jesus is he came down, 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 down. To the point of being offered as a ransom, as our passage says. He said, I'll make my life about your life entirely. He saw deep into your heart and he wasn't ashamed of what he saw. He wasn't repulsed, but he said, I'll do whatever it takes to have them. And if you know that, then you'll become truly great because you won't have anything to prove anymore. The king of the universe stopped for you and he wanted you. And if that's your story, then you will not be able to help but serve. 
You will not be able to help but notice poor, blind beggars like Bartimaeus, social outcasts like Bartimaeus, lonely people like Bartimaeus, and serve them and make your life about them instead about this notion like, oh, I got to be great. I need the followers. I need the status. I need to know that I matter. Because you'll know that you matter. And you can be free to love. And you can be free to serve. And that's why the gospel is so good. Because only the gospel of a God who is everything, who is as high as you can possibly be, and came down as low as you could get, can make it happen. And if that's your God, then you can serve. If that's who defines you, then you can serve in ways that are amazing. And so let's pray that uh, he would work that into our hearts. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we uh, pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear uh, who we truly are and who you truly are and what greatness really is. And would we live lives of greatness uh, for your glory. Uh, Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.